0: DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over the counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Atlanta has one of the highest eviction rates in the country, third in the nation according to apartment list with nearly 6% rise in evictions between 2015 and 2017. Earlier this month, we spoke with Brooke Gladstone about a reporting series NPR's On the Media created with the Eviction Lab at Princeton. Our conversation on the series, called The Scarlet E, Unmasking America's Eviction Crisis, received a lot of feedback from people like Leonard Henry, a Georgia landlord who says his property was extensively damaged by a family he rented to. He wrote... After six months and $10,000 out of pocket, I eventually restored the damage. To add insult to the injury, the family moved just around the corner. I can't sue because they have no assets, and they never ended up with an arrest or fine for the damage they did to my house." Although Brooke did give examples of landlords working to end the cycle, some of you thought building owners and managers were painted as villains. Well, we asked Margie Stagmeyer, president of TI Asset Management, which owns and rents apartments in the Atlanta metro area, for some perspective from the landlord. And Margie Stagmeyer joins me now in the studio. Welcome. Good morning. Okay, so American renters endure nearly a million evictions a year. On the media in the Eviction Lab looked at systemic sources, cost of living versus wages, lack of affordable housing, credit, how it's approved, but mostly a system that allows property owners to be greedy. Uh, Almost painted in the series, short of mustache troiling, but
0: still greedy. What do you think as a property owner? I think that being a landlord is very difficult. Um, Think of a 250-unit apartment community. You have about a 1,000 people, 1,000 to 1,200 people every day coming in and out of that apartment community. It's, It's a tough business. And I would say the vast majority of tenants that we deal with are very good community stewards of our properties, but you do have those cases of extreme damage which tends to get all the the media attention. Well,
1: well, you are president of TI Management, owning apartments at a complex in Clarkston, known as Willow Branch. How many evictions have you had the past year?
0: I've had no evictions. And actually, I've had no evictions in three years. Well, what's working for you that is not working for others? So what we do in that particular property is we've decided to keep rents affordable. We scale it to the demographics around us. So our rents there average about $725 a month, and that's an average between one, two, and three bedrooms. So we intentionally keep our rents affordable for families that make between 10 and $12 an hour, which is the demographics for this property.
1: Well, the argument is made that you can't run a business if you're keeping the housing that low. How do
0: you afford it, and how are, are you making a profit? I think we do a very good job of underwriting deals, and we have a great loan, a great lender. And, you know, our, our tenants have—that particular property has become a community, so our tenants tend to take actually pretty good care and keep our expenses down. Okay. So how about
1: when you need to increase rents, however, how can you do that? You said smaller rent increases.
0: Correct. What, so how how can you do it legally? Well, legally, you can increase your rents as much as you want. But what we do is, again, we look at the demographics around us in that particular property Last year, actually, I did not have a rent increase. Our water went up, and so I went back to the tenants, and we asked them if they would work with us to reduce water, and they did. So we did not do a rent increase last year. But unfortunately, this year we are doing a rent increase because our expenses have gone up, particularly property taxes and insurance. So we're going to increase about $20 to $30 a month. How about in the cases of
1: damages, as we heard, Leonard Henry felt that he had no recourse for expensive damages to his
0: property. What does the law in Georgia say about recouping damages? All you can do is go through the court process and get a a damages claim and put it on their credit report. Have you ever encountered that? Have you had to go to court? Oh, of course. Yeah.
1: What percentage of your renters generally cause that level of damage? I would say less than 1%. Okay. So, how, but what about when somebody does have to be evicted?
0: How long do tenants have to move out after eviction? Well, typically it's five to eight days once the judge rules in favor. That's a pretty quick
1: turnaround. But once the judge rules in favor, so you're assuming that we're assuming that there's a court process
0: going on at that point. Correct. And it can take probably three to four months to actually get the tenant evicted. And I would say 95% of the time, the tenant does not pay rent during this time frame While they're going through the eviction Correct. process. So you're losing that rent
1: cost Correct. as well. Here's a bit of another episode from the Scarlet E-Series. This is featuring a landlord named Barb Getty. If someone is really behind in their rent and they realize it's not gonna get better, I'll either say, this is Tuesday, if you can be out by Sunday and leave the place clean and empty, I won't file eviction on you, or I'll offer them $100 if they leave it clean and empty. And that's also pretty effective. What do you do, Margie, when somebody
0: cannot pay their rent? Well, we start the process. Um, We first try to work it out with the tenant. You know, we bring them into the office, find out what's going on. Sometimes we have access to programs that will help them pay their rent, and we'll introduce them. Like social programs or state or local programs? There's nonprofits out there. For example, in Atlanta, there's the Giving Kitchen that basically provides supports for restaurant workers, you know, and there's churches, there are other nonprofits that will help tenant with their bills. What's interesting to me is the vast majority of tenants that are in eviction are hardworking families. I mean, they work jobs, but they've had their hours reduced. Um, They've had some member of their family laid off. They have a medical bill. So a lot of times they're good, hard-working tenants, and so we try to work with these families. Well,
1: so that's a decision that you're making—a philosophy and a way of conducting your business. I mean, a lot of people say, "Like, I can't run a business like this. You got to pay rent or you can't." So, how do you make that decision?
0: Which people do you decide to work with? Well, we try to work with all of them. Yeah, and all of them, if they try to work with us. So, you know, it's—it's it's a opportunity for us to work with the tenants and for the tenants to try to explain to us what's going on. Well, let's hear a little bit
1: more from the series that we we spoke with Brooke about uh, the on the media series, The Scarlet E. Why they named the series that? Well, we call it The Scarlet E because one thing we found over and over again is that if you have an eviction on your record for whatever reason, the possibility of finding another landlord grows vanishingly small. And there have been people who have gone to 80, 90, until the point where they are so worn down with rejections, they'll take whatever they get. You're nodding here, Margie. Mm-hmm. And so, how does previous eviction history affect your
0: decision to rent to new applicants? Well, absolutely. We look at it. And I can tell you it's pandemic. You know, we'll get tenants. That will submit applications and they've had three and four evictions. And, you know, do you take a risk with that tenant or not? Sometimes we may take a risk with them, but they have to put up additional security deposit. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other things that you consider with an applicant? Well, we look at their income. We look at their credit history. We look at their they've had any criminal activity in their record. Um, We look at things like that. Are you liable as a landlord if criminal activity is going on in one of your properties? That's a tough question. I mean, we have to do market standards as far as security. Right. So in a way, yes, if there's an extreme and we were negligent, yes. So
1: credit scores is a, is a tricky thing. Uh, there was a comment on Twitter that uh accused me of agreeing that it's sheer racism that's behind this, although anybody would be welcome to go back and listen to the interview and hear me challenge Brooke on that. But one commenter did say this is based solely on credit it has nothing to do with racism. Do you agree with that?
0: Not necessarily. Why not? Because I well first off most of our properties it's a very diverse audience. Um I mean, we work with everyone. We don't care what your race is. For us, it's just an income number. Hmm.
1: Margie Stagmeyer is with me. She's president of TI Asset Management, and we're talking about eviction rates and how they affect landlords, as she's a property owner with multiple units. Well, of course, Atlanta rents have been skyrocketing in recent years. Gentrification has been an ongoing problem, with long-term residents unable to afford increased property taxes or rent. How... What, what do the laws suggest? How do you, as somebody who, you know, wants to keep a community intact, feels like that's an important value, how do you make those kind of decisions?
0: As far as rent increases? Yes. Again, we look at the demographics around us. Um, our Our particular model focuses on elementary schools, so we like to buy blighted properties near low performing schools and keep our rents affordable so the families can live there long term and raise their children and stay in the same school. So we're very sensitive about rent increases. What we look at is once our expenses increase, that's more of a factor of how we determine rent increases mm-hmm. than just arbitrarily saying, well, our neighbors charging $50 more a month, so we're going to raise our rents $50. We don't really care what our neighbors are charging.
1: You talked about a couple of the cases where, you know, people might be losing wages at work or losing hours. There's a big argument going on throughout the country about creating a living wage so that people can afford their rents. Wages have not gone up in, uh, uh, parallel with costs of living. So are you seeing more and more people having trouble with their rents? Yes. Yeah. Of course. In the last couple of years.
0: I tell you, the other thing that's not really discussed too is technology has kind of redistributed how we spend our our incomes. Technology accounts now for probably about 15% of our income. And that's never really discussed in the media either. You now have to have a cell phone. You know, you have to have that laptop. And not only have have our incomes not going up, but we've had more expenses basically to make us competitive. Mm -hmm. And I imagine
1: everybody has Wi-Fi. Does everyone pay for Wi-Fi independently inside of your units? Yes. Okay. Are there any legally acceptable reasons for failure to pay rent? No. Not that I've ever seen. So what if they were to say, well, you didn't fix my water or, you know, my water pressure's not working or, you know, I have mildew or something like that? Is there a cause do they have legal costs?
0: I, I think judges, and it, it varies county by county, but I think judges will look and and sometimes consider things like that. But usually it's it's you have to pay
1: your rent. Well, the legal process allows renters options to appeal evictions, as we noted. But what on the media and the eviction lab tract were extrajudicial, those that didn't go through the process. Do most of your cases for evictions end up in the courts? Yes. Yeah, they do. So Because
0: you'd... at this point, we've exhausted all
1: efforts to try to work it out with them. Now, we did receive some feedback on our Facebook group also from a listener who is a landlord. Glenn Ashmore in Macon wrote, The last thing I want to have to do is evict someone. Around here, a vacant unit would be stripped of all wiring and plumbing within 48 hours. So from your perspective, what is the cost of eviction?
0: Well, it depends on the condition of the unit, but probably around $2,000 to $3,000 a unit. So can you normally turn something around
1: if somebody vacates an apartment, you have to repaint, you have to Correct. redo? Correct. So that costs you money, obviously. Correct. And then you've had three to four months of downtime. So what are the next
0: steps for a tenant following an eviction? I would try to work it out with their landlord. And I like the idea of, of you know, saying, well, we'll leave peacefully and give you your unit back rather than it taking three to four months. If you don't put the eviction on my record.
1: Well, so, you know, obviously this this fires up a lot of people. There's this idea that there's tenants versus landlords. There are two different sides. But what is it, Margie, that made you decide that you wanted
0: to do it differently? And, and how has that affected the way you do
1: business? I've
0: realized the unique role that a landlord pay, plays in a community as I said earlier, you know, some of your properties may have 1,000 to 2,000 people living there. I think landlords need to be sensitive about the um, social impact of when they evict tenants or that they have in the role of the community at large. So, for example, if a, te- if a landlord raises their rents $50 or $100 a month, you can completely destabilize the local school because you'll have pretty much all your tenants move out. They'll take all their children out of the school and that's what causes schools to fail. It's high transiency rates. So once I understood that concept, we started to try to do apartment communities or purchase apartment communities with more of a social model where we looked at the community at large, including the elementary school. Margie Stagmar, I wanna thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you. Margie is president of TI Asset Management. A lot of comments that we got. Uh, We also aired a segment about corporations, how they celebrate and promote LGBT pride. Somebody left us a comment, as a small business owner, I don't publicize my support for LGBT. For companies that do publicize their support for that community, they can't plow profits into programs for LGBT, elderly, first responders, teachers, African Americans, etc. cetera. Well, we always like to hear from you from whatever we're talking about. Please join the conversation. Stay with us for David Epstein. He's going to talk about Range, a new book that lays out a foundation for success as a generalist. I'm Virginia Prescott, and this is On Second Thought.